Hi, this is Tia Sarkar. I play Sabine Wren on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Twin Suns Transmission. Of course, it ends where it becomes a desert planet with twin suns. Hey, my name is Taylor Gray, and I play Ezra Bridger in Star Wars Rebels. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Twin Suns Transmission. Here's where the fun begins. Let's make this epic more interesting. You've taken your first step into a larger world. the TSO Book Club Podcast. I'm your host Amanda and today we are covering the book Phasma by Delilah Dawson. Alright guys, this was a really incredible book. It was honestly one of the best um, in-depth looks at a single character that I've seen in a while. What were your initial reactions? Jesse? I am in love with this book. I've read it at least twice because um, I read it out back when it was part of the journey to The Last Jedi. I was so excited about Phasma when she first got announced. Just her, the, the look of her, the fact we're getting a female villain, and the fact that she's being played by Gwendolyn Christie. I was so excited. And then as we know, we didn't get a ton about her in the movies. Um, she was kind of the Boba Fett. But this book, I feel like, satiated so much of everything I ever wanted from Phasma. So I absolutely enjoyed getting to know her throughout this book. And it's just, like you said, it's a really like deep character study of her. And it was just awesome. Yeah, it was definitely a backstory that was needed. Phasma definitely is that type of character who just looks very cool in the movies, like the Boba Fett and doesn't do very much. But we obviously know there's a legend behind Phasma from the movies, we don't really see it play out, but we know she's a very respected uh, villain, and we finally get to see that play out in Phasma. It's incredible seeing her backstory be so unique, unlike anything we really see in Star Wars, coming from such a primitive um, background. And she was pretty ruthless throughout the book, and is really everything you'd want from a villain, she was. I didn't really expect to enjoy this book that much. Um, I had some friends of mine who didn't like it. It doesn't score very well in Goodreads, but I really, really enjoyed this read. I was just going to second what you said there, Christian, with the villainy. Like, she's just, I love that ruthlessness about her. I love that there's nothing redeemable to her whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I think that just makes for such a good villain, and I think that's a really cool quality in a female villain for there to be just kind of just no redemption, no redeeming qualities and just, just to be immensely strong and powerful and, and worthy of, like you said, all that respect we know she's gotten um, is really just really cool to see for her. All right. With this book comes honestly like a huge cast of new characters um, that we are just being introduced to. Um, and a couple of new planets, at least new for me. Jesse, how do you say this planet name? <laughs> Parnassos. <laughs> okay. So our journey takes us over to the planet of Parnassos, which is Phasma's home planet. 
And there she becomes part of the sire folk through some skullduggery <laughs> and <laughs> um, with her brother Keldo. Who out of all of the sire folk that we got introduced to were some of your guys' favorites? And what did you think about all these new characters that we were introduced to? Personally, I really loved Siv. Just because, I mean, obviously we get the most of Siv. It's kind of, it's all told from her her perspective. So she's obviously the the easiest to kind of empathize with. But she was just also the most relatable character where, you know, she's obviously, she respects Phasma. She's a warrior like Phasma, but she still has a huge amount of empathy that Phasma lacks, um, which really gave it a nice balance and also gave I feel like Phasma more spookiness for her to be surrounded next to someone like Siv who's constantly like getting more and more uncomfortable with the way her leader is acting um (laughs) so I thought Siv was really cool um and then probably Frey I think as a fun character to have like this little kid that is just like in this warrior clan just getting strapped to people's backs and and just chilling while people are throwing down and dying all around her and just being totally chill with that as like a little toddler. I just think is a really funny concept. I know that's kind of dark, but. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think Siv was a really awesome character. Something I didn't expect from the book. Um, Obviously it features Cardinal and Vi Marathi, if I'm saying that right as well. But within Mm -hmm. Fest, storyline uh, I mean kind of expect Phasma to be kind of the main character to root for but because she is so unredeemable and ruthless in the book you really need someone to root for in that storyline and Siv was a great character for that had a lot of the ruthless qualities of Phasma but like you said she also has empathy so she's someone you can relate to and root, root for uh, and I'm kind of blanking on the guy's name that she's somewhat with. Torben. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Torben. He was, I really liked his character as well. It just seemed like this big old teddy bear type character that kind of does all the heavy lifting, but has a really, really soft heart. And the relationship, um, if you can, I guess you can kind of call it that, was um, something that was pretty cool to watch develop throughout this, this story. And just kind of learn more about and brought kind of an emotional connection to it, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I'm honestly I really again echoing you guys loved Siv and I love that we got Phasma's story through Siv's eyes. Mm-hmm. Um so it was, you know, it was really interesting having kind of that secondhand observation of everything that was happening and then you know a little bit of a personal story going on on Siv's part um as far as like what she was going to and how she was experiencing things because I think maybe had it been told through Phasma's point of view that it might have been a much drier story (laughs) right she's just very like must kill screw everyone yeah like it's all about me yeah um and our story kind of starts in Parnassus um, with Phasma, who had, you know, become part of the sire. She kind of uproots and murders, does some murder uh, with their leader, Ejel, and takes over the people of the sire. And um, is that, am I saying sire right? Sorry, the skyer. Yep. Skyer. And skyer. Takes... I was wondering too. Every I'm time like, I, I read that, I'm like, skyer, like, sire. Skyer, sire, seer. I don't know. 
and kind of and her and her brother both in part become their leaders and our story kind of starts there so jesse going forward in the story i mean it's a very long-winded multi-adventure kind of means to an end what was Mm -hmm. your take on all of that I just really like the way the story was told in general. I, I, I typically am not a fan of stories that jump forward and back in time. I, I typically, that's very hard for me to wrap my brain around, wrap my brain around. And I know that's like a huge Star Wars like mode of storytelling. Um, but this in particular, the way this story is told, it's told by Vi Marathi through Siv's eyes about Phasma. And I just think that's a really cool concept. And I liked every now and then like, getting interrupted from that like I think it happens more towards the end of the book where Vi is telling the story Cardinal starts getting impatient and it's cool to hear um it probably comes across a lot better in the audiobook because she's telling the story it's it's always kind of Vi Marathi's voice throughout and then Cardinal will kind of come in and be like get to the point and she's like I'm getting there and you're still like on Parnassus but Vi like kind of and our checks like cut in um I keep calling him our checks I know that it, it, that's like we read um, Galaxy's Edge, Black Spire first, and then Phasma. And I, I know that was kind of backwards in the storyline for Vimarati, but and for Archex. But I feel like it's like hard for me to call Archex Cardinal now because we knew him for so long as Archex in that other book. But I just I do really love the time jumping and that it's being told, you know, by Vi. Um, and there's that whole other, like you said, thing to, like you said, Christian, like where there's something else to root for. I feel like Vi also adds that to the story too, um, where she's trying to turn Cardinal, get him to defect. Um, and you have, you know, some other good people in here to really root for. I just thought it was a very funny and well told story in a very unique way, um, that I really enjoyed the kind of the layout of how everything, um, the mode of, of the storytelling, I guess you could say. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty unique way to tell it, too. It kind of reminded me of um, Dooku, Jedi Lost, how the story was told, where you kind of had two separate storylines. One was kind of a story that you're being told in Dooku, Jedi Lost, was through the kind of videos that Ventress was watching. And then here, obviously, was Vi Marathi telling the story. He kind of jumped back and forth quite a bit. And then it kind of all came together at the end. And you talked about how exciting um, the plot was for Phasma. It kind of just jumped from one thing to the next with her. It seemed like as soon as they got out of one problem, they ran into another problem that seemed way worse. So it was very climactic and it was really cool to kind of jump back to Famarati and Cardinal's story. Just let the plot breathe. Even though it did get intense at times, especially with the, the torture but you kind of knew what to expect more so with it. So it was really nice to let the plot breathe to kind of jump back there. But overall, the um, fact that Phasma's story was so exciting really added to the intrigue a lot. Um, Like from the very beginning of the book, the stakes were very high. And it's like the stakes were high almost throughout the whole book for Phasma and her crew. This made it a very exciting book to read. Right. It was just it just felt like nonstop. Like it should have been an action movie. It just mm-hmm. would have been like the best action movie ever to be just not everything needs to be a movie. I, I know that this I don't really want this to be turned into a movie, but if it was, it would just be one of those like edge of your seat, like 
it's just the best kind of book to read. I love when there's always something happening and the action just kind of never stops. Um, It just makes it more fun. Yeah. Yeah, It seemed like every single page, someone's life is on the line. It's a survival. For me, the way that it was the pattern of it and the rhythm of it and the interruptions with it made me think of the movie The Princess Bride. Um, I don't know. I I know that's like a hot take, but I've never seen the movie. <gasps> I haven't either. Oh, <laughs> yes! I've like, never, like, never, never seen that movie. I know it's such a popular movie and everybody yeah, loves it. So bad. All right, y'all two have some homework this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Promise. Oh my goodness. I like, I can't even breathe, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's such like a cult classic, and I've—it's amazing. Gotten around to it, <laughs> but it, that's a lot of the storytelling in that one is the flipping back and forth between current time and the past tense and oh. the story. Um, and like it just kept jumping from adventure to adventure. I mean, we started off with them helping out the first order and Brendel Hux. And then they start moving across Parnassos. They climb down, which the sire folk have never been off of their cliffs. I don't, like, reading that was such a weird thing for me because I can't imagine living my life on, like, grappling hooks, basically. Such an intense, like, <laughs> I just kept imagining, like, they're, 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 like, going through their own torture, like, in their own right. Like, their bodies have to always be tense because you have to, like, not fall off. There's, like, they had no point of relaxation in like their whole lives no they're like they're always literally climbing and that kind of blew my mind so they you know they make the weird their way down so they're helping out the first order brendel hux has crashed his ship and needs assistance getting you know back to the first order so they climb down and um they are making their way through the sand and one of the sire folk, because Brendel Hux also had his own little kind of um, outfit. He had his own outfit of um, stormtroopers, PT-2445, LE-2003, and HF-0518. Um, but one of the sire folk, Carr, is in the sand for the first time in his life and playing with bugs in the sand. and he gets bit and bad things happen and those bad things are super important later in the book but so like this guy that they're traveling with literally turns into a great wobbly bubble of like water a human water balloon and just kind of like disintegrates into the sand basically the worst experience you could ever have (laughs) first time ever playing in the sand your expectations are so high. <laughs> the most tragic thing that could possibly happen. I, I know. hate sand. It's <laughs> such like a creepy idea too of like, it, it's cool because it makes sense that like that would be like a crazy scary bug on a planet that, you know, you're, you're in mm-hmm. the sand. So it makes sense that it like liquefies its enemies and then like, you know, explodes them and they all feast on, you know, the liquefaction of its prey. Like, I love that it just makes so much sense for, like, the the harsh desert area that they came to. But, like, yeah, it it felt like a scene out of, like, the mummy 
to me where it's like all those like crazy mm-hmm. Egyptian like beetles all over the place and it's there's like multiple points in the book where they're just kind of crawling and it looks like a whole entity is like moving because there's so many beetles like that was that has to be like one of the creepiest creatures and they're always there too they're always just like beneath the surface because anytime a drop of blood hits they all swarm so that's kind of terrifying they're always there right by you just waiting Right, and they're, like, fighting their way through the whole thing. So it's, like, blood has to just be dripping everywhere. So mm-hmm. I'm surprised they didn't all get eaten by those things immediately. Yeah. Super gross. So that is the first horrific, traumatic thing happening in the book. And <laughs> and they just keep coming, guys. They just keep coming. <laughs> um, Brendel hucks their charge, who at this point is their only hope of getting certain medicines that he'd promised and, you know, bettering their lives on, you know, the harsh scape of Parnassos. He falls ill and they're not quite sure what's going on and they keep pressing forward and at one point they're just kind of dragging him because he's not doing so hot and they find um, the remnants of an outpost and they go in and are abducted by droids. (laughs) Um, and that is part of the Constar mining colony, correct? Yes. So, Jesse, what do you think about what happens next? Droid brights. <laughs> these, these droids, they've just been abandoned and left to their own devices. It reminded me a lot of, like, L3, like, the longer a droid goes without getting, like, its mind wiped and updates. Like, like they, like, I think Brendel's the one that says it, like, they go funny or something, he says. Um, when they haven't had their memories wiped in a long time or had updates in a long time. So it just kind of reminded me of L3. It's just like all these droids. I mean, they were still very much all about, what was it? Praise to the creator. So like a little less like L3 because (laughs) she didn't care about her creator. But I don't know, just that, like how like they kind of, just going on on their own and, and continuing keeping up this facility even after they've been abandoned by all their people. Um, I just thought it was a really funny concept. It's like a very end of the world like scenario. Like what would happen if we were all just all humanity was gone and we had artificial intelligence? They would just continue on without us and get like weirder and weirder over time. They were so weird though. And they were all, there was one moment in the book where we see all of the droids sitting in, like, an office, like, hailing a sack of bones. <laughs> and do you remember that? I'm, they were, like, hailing the corpse, the bones that were left behind of their creator, quote-unquote. Mm. And oh I'm God. just sitting here, like... I missed that. I must have blinked. <laughs> Every time I've read this book, <laughs> or just like threw it out, like it's just too much. I ignored just that part. Threw that away. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the droids were like praising the bones of the person. I'm not quite sure who the person was, but I'm sure it was one of their creators, one of the Constar people. So, you know, they figure out a way to disengage the droids and get Brendel back because. You know, he uh, he was ill and the droids were helping him and then they enslaved him too. And they were all kind of being forced to do whatever task-related labor they had at this facility. Because it was an old mining facility and these droids did have a purpose. 
or programming, I guess, to keep the facility running. So they thought they were employing these people. Um, and they, they had like these videos of the pre-dystopian society that Parnassos became, which was kind of trippy. And they, you know, they disabled the droids, they got out, and then they got captured. Again. <laughs> There's no rest on Parnassos. <laughs> Literally. This book was like one adventure to the next. It was like, I, I can't even wrap my brain around how many different plot lines it came up with. To have like problems happening um, to get from point A to point B here, which would be um, <laughs> Hux's ship. <laughs> yeah, Hux's ship was a lot farther away like, than I initially thought. It right. literally took an entire book to get there. I thought it'd be like just a couple hours and walk there, and you're, you're there. Right. They made, it, they made it sound like it was longer. like right. And they were like, "Oh, it's just in clot." territory and then it's like yep. claw territory took like 10 minutes to get through and they're like nope we have to go across planet like, oh we were wrong it's, <laughs> it's, a mile away. it's not a mile away <sighs> so now we are in aratu station they have been taken and imprisoned in jail and everyone basically keeps saying like praise aratu and they're trying to figure out who it is and when we finally meet this guy, Aratu, he reminds me of the guy from Thor Ragnarok. Over the phone, I already forgot. Oh yeah, that he reminds me of the guy from Thor Ragnarok on. Um, oh gosh, what was Ooh. that planet? Yes, I don't remember what the planet was called. But I know what you're I talking about. The same thing. That's all I could think of. Um, he was played by Rich Looking Man. What is Rich Looking Man's mm-hmm. name? Why is this all gone from my brain when I Jurassic actually Park need it? Guy. Right? Um, you look at him and you're just like, that man looks just like rich. Like he smells <laughs> like good leather and cigars and expensive cologne. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, it's uh, Jeff Goldblum, right? Yes, thank you. Yes, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, he reminds me of the guy from Thor Ragnarok, played by Jeff Goldblum, who basically is, like, the game runner. Um, and this guy, Aratu, is pretty much just kind of running a uh, an arena, a, a gladiator arena. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, what I loved about this part is it almost felt like it was a nod to Gwendolyn Christie to me, because for me, this reminded me of Game of Thrones, with um a cup for a couple of reasons the 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 ara two he reminded me of like um robert of the eerie like some like snivelly little kid that's just throwing people through a moon door because it's fun totally um, you haven't seen game of thrones no no i have i can totally see oh. that it's a good oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. make the bad <laughs> man fly that kid and, he sucks right. yes. <laughs> and then the whole concept is like exactly what happens to brienne of tarth at one point um, where they get captured and she's made to like fight a bear and she's awesome. Uh, <laughs> so that just like kind of reminded me because it's it's Gwendolyn Chrissy is Phasma and that's what her character had to do with Game of Thrones. So this like in my head it was like a nod to that to put Phasma in an arena where she just has to fight all this these crazy people and all this stuff off and just totally gets to prove how awesome 
she is to an entire civilization of people. (laughs) And literally that she orchestrates with Siv to just like run and jump into the stands and take this dude's head off like mid-jovial laughter. Right, Excuse like who me? thinks who <laughs> thinks they can pull that off? Who just says to themselves, "No big deal. I'll just decapitate the king of this whole civilization, and we'll get out of here." And like, I'll use my buddy as the launch board. <laughs> what, Christian? Yeah, that's like something that Brienne of Tarth would definitely do. <laughs> just like the love that he wielded a sword to for a decent amount of the books. You just don't see that in Star Wars. And I definitely agree. That definitely right. like, seemed like a nod to Brienne of Tarth. Yes. So awesome. Uh, and throughout this, we're looking at this weird little pocket of society on Parnassos that seems to not have completely crumbled um, to see that it's all kind of a smoke and mirrors show and that they are holding these gladiator-style tournaments to keep people from murdering and eating each other because everything's dying and they're running out of resources. So do some murder. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. This, it just was like a very, the whole book was very, just had that eerie background of like, Oh, this is what the end of the world will look like when we've like, (laughs) not to get dark again. This whole book is dark. So get with it. Um, But like, you know, like their planet was killed by like over mining and big explosions and like some parts completely died. Other parts, we've got these people just like struggling to survive, have totally lost all technology. And then like everyone over here is killing each other because they're overpopulated. Like that is like, if that's not just classic, the way a planet dies, like, I don't know what is. Definitely so seem like eerie. it's kind yeah, of a- it could have been set on earth. Like a lot, long time from now, a lot of it seems right. like social commentary to how our Earth could end with with the nuclear nuclear plant going wrong and just kind of destroying the whole place. Right. But so much of it seems to kind of reflect where we're at now. Even just like entertainment of um, uh, where they were trapped at, where they use entertainment so they don't all kill each other. It seems like a lot of things that we do too use entertainment to kind of. Uh, trap people. what's actually going on like kind of the dangers that are actually going on we talk about like um covid it seems like as soon as it's not like the hot topic anymore they go on to the next sort of entertainment so i thought that was right. pretty interesting mm-hmm. totally i think this book would make a really interesting planetary study kind of like a, mm-hmm. a, a sociology type <laughs> type <Yeah>. deal <laughs> Um, so many different societies just within one planet. They all have different perceptions of what the planet is. For Phasma, thought it was just them and the claw folk, and that was it on the planet. And they keep going out and discovering new societies, new people, and they're all vastly different. Yeah, I feel like each little grouping that we come into contact with has their own set of problems that are unique to the situation on Parnassos. And it also just kind of speaks to, like, when you turn a a blind eye, like, obviously, they had no technological ability to see what was going on throughout the planet. But like, if you turn a blind eye to what's going on, you're only focusing on your own port part of the world, you never get anywhere. 
but there's so many little instances that if you know if if we just would have gotten braver to to travel earlier or if you know mm-hmm. the the ara two people would have branched out and seen that the whole other half of the planet has you know all these lush resources but everybody just stays where they're at and keeps you know it was like a almost like a stubbornness that was keeping everybody in the dark and keeping everybody suffering um a stubbornness to to venture out and to work together with as an entire planet that's a a really good reflection of our world too but yet we have the technology um and we still struggle with it the technology and the connectivity right it was really sad to hear that throughout most of the book you think they're on a ruined planet um, there's kind of no life anywhere. It's not a place to live. We find out just kind of a short would be a flight away if they had a ship. The planet's beautiful and full of life. They just never kind of get to experience that. And you have generations of Skyer folk living there thinking their world is so confined. Like you said, if they were kind of willing to venture out, they could find this beautiful area to live on the planet they thought was ruined. And instead, they're too busy picking the wings off flies in their own little mm-hmm. 10 feet of space that they've got. So Phasma does a jump off her buddy's back and decapitates Aratu and claims her or dubs herself as the new Aratu. And um, or how do you say his name? I'm, I know I'm saying it wrong. Oratu is Oratu. how we're saying it. Okay. Um, so now she is the Oratu of Oratu Station, and Vrod was Oratu's buddy. He was like, okay, well, now you have to stay. <laughs> <laughs> and that works out really, really well for him. <laughs> it, it just goes swimmingly, and he dies, and <laughs> she does some more murder. It's Phasma's thing. That's what she does. Doing murder? She does whatever it takes to yes. get herself, just herself, mm-hmm. where she wants to go. Um, okay, so they finally escape, um, and they get away from some of the people of Aratu, or Oratu, try and come after them. It does Like, they get away. They're fine. They come up to this strange alien creature named Chirk, who calls himself a Gand. Um, Jesse, do you want to tell us a little bit more about him? Yeah, so a Gand, and and this is coming from an old book, which is technically Legends, um, but I consider it pretty, you know, it's just a guide. It's it's an alien species guidebook, so I I think it would be, for the most part, um, the general things about a species i feel like they're keeping the same even even you know since since the legends has has tr- become what they are legends um but basically a gand is just a specific alien species because in the in the phasma novel it just almost sounded like i kept thinking of, of him as like um like a like a lynx like kind of like a am i saying the right kind of creature kind of like sphinx? in harry potter sphinx yeah okay yeah in the triwizard tournament when there's like that thing that kind of like mm-hmm Asks riddle questions like or kills you. Asks riddles. Yeah, that's what this reminded me of. So I was I was picturing that kind of a creature, and then I looked through this book, and it just turns out that he it's just a a very rare, um, like insect like creature. Um, that they're just very um, they're very secretive. So like they a lot of planets they 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 have found on a lot of planets, but they. Some of them only breathe ammonia. Some of them don't breathe regular air. And even the ones that can breathe regular air will like hold up this facade of, of needing a special breathing thing just because they're like just these very 
secretive people that 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 are just like not a well-known species apparently in the star wars world so i just thought that was kind of cool um that they're just like these very unknown very kind of rare species in the star wars world um and i'm not sure where they've they must have shown up somewhere else in, in legends or something before for them to be in this book um but i don't know i thought that was kind of cool yeah so they run into this guy chirk who warns them about going forward and there's you know ahead a hole in the fence that they can kind of call, go through um but he tells them of a blast that is that does not affect him but there's a radiation poisoning that happens um or that's what he begins describing if they keep proceeding forward. But the way that they're going and would go if they were to go through the radiation poisoning area um, from the blast, they that's the fastest way to get to Brendel's ship. And at this point, people are dropping like flies. Basically, everyone's dying. Um, and Phasma has this thing where she literally at this point does not care who else dies so long as she keeps him alive brendel alive long enough to get herself onto that ship and secure herself a better future because you know she's very much so at this point out for herself she has shown by this point that she doesn't care really who of her people dies anymore so they are discussing these things with Chirk when they are attacked. Um, and that was her brother, right? The Skyer, yeah. The, the, the <laughs> remains of the Skyer like, came well, after them. I'm pretty sure that her brother just tried to kill them all and they just, ran. Right. Mm-hmm. It's such a twist, too, because they have such a disagreement about whether to leave or not. And in, at first you think Keldo is like, you know... It's hard in the beginning to kind of say who's right, you know, right in the beginning of the narrative when they're arguing, you kind of side more with Phasma where you're like, yeah, you guys need to like keep moving. You're going to die where you're at. So I kind of started off agreeing with Phasma. And then you feel for Keldo too, where it's just too big of a risk and and it's hard to, to, to take that huge risk when you have so few people. Um, But so I kind of was almost feeling like Keldo was, you know, more of the, because he is, like, Phasma's the muscle. Keldo's, like, that, like, calm, cool, collected leader. Um, that was kind of their dynamic. So for him to just turn and, like, seek revenge like that from going to, I will protect what we have at all costs, and that's too big of a risk, to just be, like, so mad that she left them that he's just going to go out and seek them, hunt them down, and just start a full-out civil war with his own clan was such a twist. <laughs> That's a very tragic end to the Skyer clan. And I completely agree that at the beginning, between Phasma and Keldo, like, well, they, they both have pretty good points of what they want to do. But I definitely think it's the wrong decision for Keldo to, like, all right, she left. Now I'm going to take everyone we have left, including Frey. We're going to go hunt, hunt her down just for the sole purpose of basically hunting her down and getting revenge. Right. Uh, definitely the wrong decision. That was pretty sad to see for the Skyer folks, especially with how it ended. But definitely an interesting dynamic between Phasma and Keldo. And we do find out that there is some Phasma-like characteristics in Keldo too, seeking revenge. And he's not even the one fighting. I mean, he's physically not capable of doing the fighting. 
and is kind of basically making his followers who obviously trust him they're willing him to willing to follow him into a fight that's not theirs and he's basically making them do this fight for him and eventually die for him pretty tragic like most of the book just tragic i know i kept trying to think like like because like like we said like it's just not a logical move for keldo to make when he's supposed to be the logical leader so when you think like why why are you doing this Mm -hmm. like i feel like that what we learn at the very end i know we're kind of i'm kind of skipping ahead here but how we learn of how him and phasma became you know skyrfolk and phasma being the one that stabs him in the leg causes him to lose the leg we know that keldo remembers this even though phasma tries to like be like nah it wasn't me um you must have been delirious um he we know he knows this because he tells civ um because we're hearing it from her perspective and i wonder if it's just like that built up like my sister has ruined my life from the very beginning. She she took my ability to fend for myself. She took my leg. Um, sold out their parents. Killed, yeah, sold out yeah. and basically murdered their parents. <laughs> yep. Like everything bad that's happened to Keldo has been Phasma. And now he, you know, sees that she's going to get, you know, what she wants and, and leave them all behind. And, and I'm sure he knows that about her, that she's, that that's obviously the way she is. He's probably the one that knows that the best. Siv, it seems like that was something that it took her the entire book to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, but he already knew. So I wonder if it's from that moment that we learned at the end that just gets him to be like, no, like th- I'm not going to let her win. I'm just going to sacrifice everything. We don't have a chance. And he just hopes to take mm-hmm. her down in his last moments. That's the only yeah. thing I could think of for why he would make that choice. And he still can't do it. Could you no. imagine how frustrating that would be? And especially because of what he made his people do to each other. Phasma right. aside, the rest of them didn't do anything wrong. They were just following their leader's mm-hmm. orders. She made brother kill brother. She made family kill family. Friend kill friend. So. That's probably more social commentary. It's kind of a, a lot of war is. is kind of poor people fighting the rich man's war. They don't have right. any grief each other, but because some rich men have grievances, they have to fight. That's so true. That's yeah, the brother killing brother, that was really heartbreaking. Yeah. I don't remember Corbin's brother's name. After Torben basically let himself get killed and his brother was kind of standing over there with regret and then seemed to whisper thank you to Siv after she killed him. That was yeah, (laughs) tragic as it can get. He smiled when she killed him because he was staring at his brother not knowing how he was going to live with himself looking mm-hmm. at what he had just done. And he was crying because they said that he had not earned his mask so you could see his tears. So think right. about how young <sighs> he had to be too in order to have, because, you know, we know they become so self-sufficient at young ages. Phasma couldn't have been over like 25. These people aren't living that long. Mm-hmm. So he had to be really young and yeah. killing his brother. And that's like, that's yeah, just, I mean, the whole book was kind of messed up, but. Yeah, that was then, <laughs> yeah. 
And then Phasma goes to kill Frey. And Siv, like you said, stops her. Um, yeah. And screams. And then she's like, or Brent, was, I think it was Brendel. He was like, oh, well, the First Order can always use kids. <laughs> so yeah. then she sold, <laughs> she quite it. literally sold the last member of her clan into slavery. Mm-hmm. With the yeah. First Order. Left her best friend on a dying planet with radiation poisoning and was like, oh, by the way, I think there's a uh, med bay in that old outpost over there. Good luck. You're weak. I'm just telling <laughs> her that she's too weak. Yeah. You're just denouncing Sorry. everything that they've kind of been through. At the beginning, they were a band of warriors. They seemed like a group that was very strong. They all admired Phasma, and at the end, they realized it's basically all a lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was hard. He was like, yeah, you can just go over there as a med bay. You might be fine. Yep. And they seemed so tight-knit, like a, a real community that grieved in their own way through the creation of their self and, you know, using life to save life. And the detractors. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it's, I think we, un, like, we always know that Phasma's a bad guy, but you really get, or a bad gal um <laughs> but you really get like that slow realization that Siv gets like every like time they stop to rest she looks and she's like Phasma and Brendel are always talking they're not letting us know what's going on and like more and more she just starts to figure out that who like you said she thinks of as you know a, a close society member or a, 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 a leader that she looks up to at the very least um loyal loyal follower of the most loyal part of their group is just this horrible person and now she's followed her all the way to the point where now she's the last surviving person and she's lost everything because of her loyalty right (laughs) that also brings us back to our favorite interruptions with vimerati and cardinal and cardinal is desperately grasping at straws trying to figure out what Vi knows that can be of use to him and she's just trying to stretch this out as long as she can to keep him placated and but hooked but you know placated um without giving him anything concrete that he can use because cardinal's main thing is that he kind of wants to unseat phasma because he blames phasma for brendel hux's death I just love Cardinal so much. I love that he, it's always nice to see when you get a look on the other side. So for us, it's like either the Empire or the First Order. And you realize that not everybody is Palpatine. Not everybody is Kylo Ren or General Hux. Not everybody's just like pure evil, you know, people that want to watch the world burn. Um some people joined because they thought it was the right cause and because of all the propaganda and the brainwashing and, and Cardinal's like a true product of that. He sees himself as someone who was rescued from a horrible life uh, on Jakku. Um, like we saw Ray and he just got, you know, given everything that he needed and just was able to, you know, find a purpose and doesn't see the bad in it yet. He genuinely thinks he's doing the right thing and he genuinely is a good person up until the point he's torturing by Marathi. Um So it, I don't know, it's just a cool thing to see him be just like a true, you know, 
good soldier who just knows that Phasma is a bad egg and wants to end her, even if it means, you know, taking away the poster child of the order that he loves so much and is so dedicated to. Um, I just like that he's like a good bad guy. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I completely agree, especially seeing him interact with the children. It's pretty admirable the way he talks about them and really does care for them, which we don't, like I said, we don't see that very often from the movies. We just see the Palpatines, Vader's Kylo Ren mm-hmm. on the empire. And really is cool to see stories mostly um, in the, in the books that show that good and evil isn't really black and white. Like we think it is. Um, think of lost stars with Thane and Sienna who end up joining yes. different sides and we realize, well, there's even some justification for blowing up Alderaan and blowing up the Death Star is kind of a tragedy, too. There's people that were really, really good on the Death Star who died. Um, yeah. And it kind of goes the other way with the Rebels. You look at Saw Gerrera in Battlefront. I think it was Battlefront 2, Inferno Squad. Um, his partisan group is pretty evil. but like They're fighting on the good side, but they're definitely not fighting morally or ethically so it really is cool um in these books to see good and evil is not black and white not everyone on the empire is bad not everyone on the rebels is good that's kind of a pretty important message to have yeah i think that recent star wars has done a really good job of blurring some of those lines so that the light and the dark aren't so polarizing because it's the people in between that are the ones that suffer Like, even in Rogue One, you see Cassian, who is in some ways a hero, also doing some really terrible things. Like, he's got his informant. He gets Mm -hmm. his informant into trouble, and he's like, hey, buddy, it's okay. Come here for a hug. Bang. (laughs) (laughs) That's not good. (laughs) Yeah. Not always. When the main protagonist of the movie killing an informant right in the beginning. So, yeah, I, I really like that they gave us um, some depth with Cardinal and, like you were saying, Christian, with his compassion with the kids, even when he confronted Armitage Hux about his suspicions about Phasma and everything. I mean, Hux is like, you might want to keep your mouth shut. You wouldn't want to see Phasma get her hands on those kids, would you? Yeah. I, that just confirmed, like, more, like, we knew that Armitage Hux was just, like, a weasel. Trash. Yeah, just a slimy weasel. And this just, like, it just, so it was already solidified, but I don't know what I'm trying to say. But all I can think is he is such a little weasel. <laughs> I, I think we terrible. all just need a minute to abuse Armitage Hux. So yeah. he sucks. He's a <laughs> terrible person. He literally helped Phasma plan how to kill his own dad. Right. <laughs> so that he could take his place. Like this kid is just a scuzzball. And it's annoying too because Phasma is like this 
super powerful. She's, she's, you know, mentally powerful. She has, you know, these crazy logical schemes of how to get what she wants and take everyone down, whoever knew anything about her in her past. And she's very like calculating when it comes to getting herself to the top. And she's obviously physically really, really strong and like deserves her like crazy powerful station of respect that she has in the first order or the first order even though she's a terrible terrible person too but like hux is just like armitage hutch was just like you don't even deserve like what are you yeah, like he was just born the, into it. right he's just born into yeah, it mm-hmm. cardinal even talks about how he wasn't even like that great at you know fighting or even just being in the academy like it was just they were just told hey this is hux like he is great he is awesome listen to him like all the brainwash that we get to hear about from the First Order, too, where they talk about how, like, the kids listen to First Order propaganda when they sleep and how that's something that Cardinal thinks on fondly is just really creepy um, <laughs> mm-hmm. to think about. Because, you, you know, we, we've got a lot of people now, especially the First Order, because we know they're taking them as kids. We've got, you know, Finn, who's obviously not a bad guy. We've got... What's her name? Jana, who is obviously not mm-hmm. a bad person. That was all part of the First Order. So to kind of really understand why we have so many people really defecting from the First Order um, and, and switching sides, it, it, it's interesting to see that that's how they were trying to control people. Phys- like actually, actual brainwash, which I don't think is something we ever heard from the Empire. Like there's a lot of propaganda, but that's like a new thing for the First Order, I feel like is just pure brainwash from the time you're like a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting too, because you think of brainwashing in Star Wars, you have all this technology. You might think they're brainwashing some literal like technology we don't have, but they're doing it in a way that would basically work in our society if we had right. like recordings while we're sleeping. That's what we're going to be thinking. It's going to be drilled into our unconscious. And if we're at a young age learning that, it's pretty understandable why some of these people turn out the way they, they do. And it's pretty amazing um, looking at Finn's character that he is able to escape that. Right. Mm-hmm. A little bit off topic. Well, I think that with Finn, he has this trauma response and it kind of shakes him morally in a way that he, because he didn't know he had those kind of morals. And I think you have to see it to realize it almost. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just a feeling. Yep. <laughs> feeling that something's wrong and, and technically i know that like it's been said that he's force sensitive and things mm-hmm. like that and there's speculation that so is Jana, but obviously that's not the case with cardinal but like no. i just think the force i know again we're getting off topic but the force manifests itself in so many different ways in in different people so i feel like it's there's a certain point when you know the the force is has this will to change sides that it would be putting enough I don't know if I'm explaining my thought process right but Mm -hmm. it it gets it would be getting to all these people to get the force works in mysterious ways it's kind of like it's kind of like a religion like I always think of religion Mm -hmm. in our world where if you it's it's putting people in certain places or, or giving people certain feelings to turn the tides and I feel like what we've been shown all these people um, who just keep getting these feelings, like even Cardinal just has, like he just knows that Phasma's bad. Well, he doesn't have any evidence of it whatsoever, but he just knows that she, there's something about her. 
And that totally... It's really interesting to bring up how the Force like, interacts with people differently. Uh, like We talked about the Skywalkers and the Thrawn Ascendancy, how they experience the Force differently than in Force Collector. I'm not sure if y'all have read it, but the main character has that um, the Force power. We can touch things and see the kind of backstory. But he's not force sensitive, so it really, really is cool. They don't have to be like force sensitive or have these force powers to interact with the force and even hear from the force. So that, that could be kind of the case with Cardinal. That is a really interesting thought. Yeah, not everybody and, has to be a Jedi. No, but they mm-hmm. do say throughout Star Wars that the force does guide everything, and what it wants is to guide these specific people that can make a difference down the road towards the path that brings balance. So what Cardinal does in Black Spire, that is, you know, he was guided to that moment where he was needed most by the Force, I think. And this is that manifestation of it. And can we just say, I don't know, Christian, have you read Black Spire? I'm reading it right now. Okay, so this is is not a spoiler for anyone um, Jill does throughout that book as he carves... um, these wooden animals and creatures and so i thought that was really cool that one of like the only things he had kept from jakku was a wooden um figure that he had like smuggled even though he wasn't supposed to um i thought that was a really neat um little thing that i didn't realize got pulled i didn't remember because i did read phasma before i read black spire originally and i just didn't remember that little detail carrying over Mm -hmm. so i thought that was cool yeah Towards the end of the book, all of our plot lines kind of stitch themselves together and we get the final pieces of Vimarati's information and we find out that Phasma, via some footage that she had gotten access to, you know, on the flight, was talking to Hux and telling Frey what she would become and Hux then destroyed and blasted apart the Skyer. So she watched her home being destroyed, and Hux was kind of casual about it, um, and was like, hey, come and look at this. Look at, you know, there's some of your planet, and it looks great. Oh, and look over here. I'm going to blow up your home. Cool. Just so you know, I can do that to anyone, anywhere, anytime. So he yeah. was kind of giving her the, the, the muscle. Right. It was kind of like him being like, I know you're powerful and I know you could pretty much take me, but here's what I can do. I may not Mm -hmm. have strength and fighting prowess, but like at a touch of a button that can change your whole life. Yeah. That was like his power play. I think that was the moment, at least in my opinion, that um, Phasma decided to do some more murder. I don't think that... (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that she was, like, upset or angry that the Skyer was blown up. I think she just didn't like someone trying to flex on her like that. I don't Mm -hmm. think she likes the feeling of someone trying to control her. And she was like, okay, I see what you're doing, and I'm going to raise you. Yeah. So they get back. and And what's weird, too, is in that moment, she, like, shields Frey, like, for her to not look. But then later Frey just like mysteriously dies in like a training accident. So it's like we keep getting these little like hints where it's like, does Phasma have a heart? Oh, no, no, she doesn't. No. (laughs) 
So I think that's the moment she decided to kill Brendel and her and Armitage kind of conspired and she went on a trip we find out at the very end of the book about a year after she got onto the absolution she took a tie and went back to Parnassos and went and found Hux's ship that he had left um, blown up in the sand they made a kind of big deal about this ship it had been the emperor's it was um, a gorgeous Naboo ship which was made out of chrome so she went and salvaged part of that ship found another one of those Constar outposts and forged her armor. And while she was doing this, she found another one of those gold beetles and was squishing them as she was, you know, resurrecting the pieces of the ship that she could. And she was like, actually, I'm going to try and keep one of these. And she empties out one of her ammo canisters and pops the beetle in. And we, at the, and this is the last thing we find out in the book. So going back to her and Armitage figuring out how to commit some murder, Vimerati then tells Cardinal um, in her final bit of information, so I was able to get some information from a medical droid, and he was in a Bacta tank and swelling and eventually just kind of like evaporated into the water much like our friend Carr at the very beginning of the book so the little bitey bugs she uh she unleashed one of her little bugs on him from Parnassos murder bugs murder bugs the, the, can scary, we just- <laughs> the mummy beetles <laughs> I just well I just need an appreciation moment though for Phasma's armor that she made it out of the Emperor's Naboo yacht. Yes. Like, that is so cool. Because her armor is so unique and it's part of what made her so exciting, I think, when we first saw her. Like, like much like Cardinal has his stark, you know, red armor. You never, you've never seen a a chrome stormtrooper. So to, to hear that she's not, she didn't just, like, make that because she thought it was, you know, cool. She made it out of the Emperor's ship. Like, what a foreshadow for the sequel trilogy. <laughs> like, and was the ship, was it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was uh, Palpatine's ship on Naboo. So, was it not the same ship they flew in The Phantom Menace? Yeah. I got, I think so. Yeah, that's really cool. I hope so. Yeah. I, that's, that, I had, a, I had that wrong. question too. It's definitely the same model in my brain it's mm-hmm. just the question of is did, that right, the ship? Exact it, same ship. Yeah. did he commodore that ship after all that went down that he must really have cool. coming back to um vi and cardinal cardinal upon hearing you know phasma doing more murder leaves vi and goes off to face phasma and gets his butt handed to him Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he's got one of her poisoned blades and he tries to get her with it and her armor is just too strong and she ends up stabbing him and he is kind of left to die in a training accident which you know she's <laughs> very convenient <laughs> mode of death in a training accident um, and Cardinal is rescued by his captive Vimerati, who somehow manages to get them off world and potentially going back towards Parnassos 
So mm-hmm. what did you guys think of this climax of this wrap up of everything? Yeah, at first it didn't make sense at all. I mean, <laughs> Marathi was tortured um, by Cardinal, put through terrible things, but there was kind of like what we're talking about. We kind of like Cardinal in a weird way, though he's kind of seems like the villain. There's like it's about him, and Vimarati sees that. I don't think she really understands why she saved him either at the end. She's kind of perplexed by it, but something kind of drove her to do it. I think she sees a lot of herself in him. Uh, I think she talked about how she's paid by the resistance to be a spy. So I think she does understand that they're the kind of the right side, uh, that they're the good guys. But I think she also really understands that she could have ended up fighting for the First Order and kind of been mistaken like Cardinal. So she sees a lot of herself in him, and that's why she makes this kind of crazy decision to save her captor who had been torturing her for so long. And still under the assumption that she can turn him. Mm-hmm. Right. Because he wasn't, it wasn't like a normal, like, torture scene. It wasn't like a Tarkin, like kind of vibe like it was very like oh now i'll go get you some orange juice and a bad pack like it it had that like that like this guy is desperate and this is not it's it's not in his nature to be doing this and it's because he's desperate and and obviously that's still something that that, um they have to work through and they do Mm -hmm. that a lot in in um galaxy's edge black spire because i mean just because you are deep down a good guy, you're still you still did a lot of bad stuff. Yeah. Um, but that makes him a really cool, complex character. And uh, yeah, I just I like that Vi. I like that he's saved by his own um, by his own heart. The fact that he had the heart to let her go is what saved him. And and that's mm-hmm. also what why Vi saw something in him to save him. I know that's kind of like a twisted way to explain that, but it was his own goodwill that allowed him to survive. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. All right. And so that wraps up all of our thoughts on this book. Um, it was absolutely incredible. But now we're going to hear from some of you guys who listen to our um, podcast every month and who follow along with our book club and our questions every week. Jesse. So we did get a few emails from some of you guys giving your final thoughts on what you guys thought about Phasma. So the first one is from Beth Cole. Um, It looks like she's read it twice thus far. So it says, my comment from my initial read and was reinforced during this reread. Phasma would not have been able to be bested by Finn. Sorry, Finn, but she was a complete BA. Um, Which... I have to kind of agree. Like she's like she bested all these people. Um, she's cannot be beat. Um, I, I think when it comes down to the final standoff with Finn, I don't think it's just him technically that bests her. The ship is kind of going down, and she kind of falls through. Like Finn doesn't like you know kill her. The ship kind of explodes, and she just like falls through the bottom. She just gets knocked off her, knocked off the skyer. Her balance. <gasps> <laughs> so i agree with him too because she she knocked him and he just happened to land on a platform that was rising up but right it, it was kind of 
sad to see Phasma end that way, seeing how cool she is. And it's pretty much a hot take, but I do kind of wish he would have killed Finn there. Whoa! Oh, that is a hot take. Mm-hmm. I don't wish she would have killed Finn personally, but she dies in like a way that like you could technically somehow survive. We know there's True. like rumors of Boba Fett climbing out of the Sarlacc pit. Apparently that happens in Legends, which we think, you know, there's a lot of speculation about whether he'll show up in the Mandalorian mm-hmm. on the corners of the internet. So Phasma <laughs> kind of died in a similar way where she's just like, you see her, you know, Gwendolyn Christie eye and she just kind of disappears into the void. So maybe she's, he'll have like a Boba Fett, like legend of survival somewhere down the line. Yeah. But that's just wishful that's thinking. That's her story. I mean, she's a survivor, <laughs> if anything. Yep. And then let's see here. We got another um, submission. Um, oh, wow. This is so long. You guys had a lot of thoughts. This is awesome. So we got another submission here from Heather. Um, thank you so much, Heather. Uh, your your email is awesome. It's really long. So I'm just going to uh, read um, bits and pieces here. At the end here, just kind of the overall of how you were feeling about it. Um, it's, she said she really enjoyed this book so much. Um, she finished the last quarter of the book in one day because she just couldn't put it down. Um, she said, I couldn't wait to find out what happened to Brendel and how it would all turn out for Cardinal. I was really feeling for him as he was trying to go about his duties while having a serious identity crisis. I thought that part was such good writing, and it really reveals how the Empire slash First Order is actually evil and not just the other side of the galactic war coin the final showdown between cardinal and phasma is amazing and i wish there was a way to see this on screen this felt totally different than any other star wars book the storytelling style was a bold choice and i found it absolutely captivating and then a little bit earlier she said how she'll never look at a naboo ship the same way again um, after finding out that that's how phasma got her armor and i totally agree Mm -hmm. um with all of that and then um from our our last submission here is from eric our uh regular podcast uh twin sons outpost uh founder here um that didn't join us for this episode so he definitely got his uh thoughts in um (laughs) (laughs) um let's see here he said i absolutely love that the book started off with by marathi we read Galaxy's Edge Black Spire with the book club, and I immediately fell in love with her character. In addition to her incredible adventures on Batu in the Black Spire novel, seeing her in person at the park really makes it feel like she belongs in the story of Star Wars. If I could do it over again, I would have read Phasma prior to Black Spire. Oh, well. Um, the second statement here he says Phasma's development in the novel is something he was extremely happy to see. We didn't see much of her backstory in the films, kind of like we mentioned earlier in the show. So this history was definitely welcome and her character developed throughout the novel and seemed more like a Sith Lord. Ooh, I like that take. At first it was her and her brother, two leaders, kind of like the rule of two, leading the people of the Skyre. As the book went on, she betrayed Keldo and grew seemingly to only care about obtaining power. She wanted what was best for her people at the expense of her people. She initially would share her plans with her warriors, but as time went on, she kept her intentions secret. As long as she arrived at the top, it didn't matter how she got there. I love that. Mm -hmm. She was. It was like she just went deeper and deeper into the dark side. 
And then Eric made a couple different points here. Um, to wrap it up, he said his third point was that Delilah Dawson does a great job of balancing serious issues like torture and killing with humor. I love the bit about sand in chapter 14. It gets everywhere. Um, and then final thoughts, he said, all in all, I thought this book did a great job of, ex of explaining Phasma's story and showing her ruthlessness. Her character deserved more than what we got of her in the films. And I'm glad that Lucasfilm uses other forms of media to expand on the characters and stories of the universe. So that that wraps up everybody's thoughts um, from what we've received from online and email uh, submissions. So that wraps up this episode of the TSO Book Club podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. And next month, we are going to be doing drumroll... Leia, Princess of Alderaan by Claudia Gray. And uh, this month we are changing the formatting up a little bit of how we are going to go about book club. Instead of having one week per quarter of the book, we are going to do two weeks per quarter and stretch the books over a two-month period now just to give us all a little bit more time to read and to really make sure that what we're giving you guys is the absolute best that we can. So with that being said... Thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. And Jesse, where can they find us? You can find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, all under the same handle at Twin Suns Outpost. And if you'd like to continue to follow along with us and join in on our weekly discussions and answer our weekly discussion questions um, you can find our book club in two different places on first facebook um, we have an open facebook group called tso book club you can search and be a part of and get alerted on new questions every couple of weeks here um, and then also you can follow along on our twitter at tso book club um, to also join in on those discussion questions yes and to listen to our podcast, you can listen on our website at www.twinsunsoutpost.com, iTunes, and the Star Wars podcast app on the Google Play Store. And if you enjoyed this episode and you think we're pretty wizard, go ahead and give us a good review wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you, Jesse and Christian, for joining me on this podcast, Detailing Phasma by Delilah Dawson. And thank you guys so much for listening. May the Force be with you. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Twin Suns Podcast Network. May the Force be with you. Hailmaster, Tatooine. It's controlled by the hut. Rendezvous point on Halloween. This time you are my attorney, I think.